beautiful. I hear a beautiful tone. The smell of burning pucks on the Olympic long list for Team Canada, trying to fight Jordan Bennington, crazy goaltenders who won't let you touch their equipment, facing a fired-up Dean Evason in practice as a 16-year-old netminder and junior, playing pro with Ilya Brzgalov, getting traded by the Oilers, and much, much more. Welcome to our conversation with Devin Dubnik on 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the all-new GMC AT4 lineup. Uh, this was a lot of fun uh, and a pretty lengthy one as well. Devin was was really generous with his time. Before people hear this interview, and we touch on a lot of different things with Dubnik, what do you find interesting about this six foot six, very athletic goaltender? Well, I loved him talking about the near Bennington fight last year. Oh, yeah. That was good. I, I really enjoyed talking to him about that. You know, I just think that he's a guy who's been through everything, right? He's had great successes. He's had deep disappointments. He's seen hockey at its best, hockey at its worst from a performance standpoint. You know, there's a lot that there is to talk about him because he's got so much experience. You know, one of my favorite things about Dubnik was how after the Edmonton experience went south, and he's pretty candid about that in this interview here as well, and pretty funny about it. Well, I couldn't stop pucks. It's having a good sense of humor about himself. I mean, you know, the story about him, you know, finding himself in a hotel room in, in Hamilton playing in the American Hockey League and saying, whoa, how did I get here? And then recreating himself and turning himself, Elliot, into a netminder with the Minnesota Wild. You know, and he gets to Minnesota, all of a sudden he becomes this like three-time all-star, earns himself, you know, a contract that's helped set him and his family up for life. It's a really good story of someone who didn't quit when hockey said, hey, maybe it's time to quit. I like that about Devin Dubnik a lot. You know, the other thing too is how many people, when you've played on as many teams as he has early in his career, and you're kind of sent home like he was in Montreal, Yeah, how many people really survive it? How many of people crawl out of that hole? You're basically tagged with a label. You're done. Mm-hmm. You're done. And one of those teams he was sent home from was Nashville, which had an excellent reputation for helping goalies. But even Dubnik at points, I remember because I interviewed him in the past, he even kind of said, look, I just, I wasn't at my best. And I don't think you can really be successful unless you're that honest with yourself. And still wants to keep going too. And still wants to keep going, maybe for a gold medal. We shall see. Uh, enjoy this conversation. Hope you do as much as we do. This is uh, Devin Dubnik on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Elliot, we are very pleased to be joined by Devin Dubnik, uh, someone we've wanted to talk to for a while with a wonderful story and a very interesting one to tell. Devin, first of all, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, the pleasure is ours. I love talking to goaltenders. Um, to me, they're the most fascinating creatures in the hockey universe. And now that I've buttered you up, <laughs> goaltenders used to always be so weird, and now they seem so normal. How would you describe yourself? <laughs> Just call me a creature. So that was, a, that was a fascinating creature. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was, I, I think there was a lot of, I guess it was it was a long time ago when uh, it's a little different now. I don't think, yeah. I think it just got to a point where you got to be part of the team. You got to be part of the group. And there was a time where, you know, all the old school coaches and stuff talk about goalies being off by themselves and not wanting to talk to them or, or worry about them. And I think that's just, you know, been gone for a long time. You got to be, uh, you know, it's 
important to be part of the team and be a normal guy. I mean, I think anybody that has to stand there for 60 minutes by themselves is always going to have a few quirks, but uh, <laughs> everyone's got to, everyone kind of had to adjust and be a little, little more normal. So who's the weirdest goalie now? Cause you guys all know. Now, gosh, I don't know. I'm, th- I'm thinking like I, most guys that I played with were pretty normal. Like Backstrom, when I played, I was only with him for a bit. He was, but he's an older guy too. So he had some superstitions. You just don't really see it anymore. Mm. I mean, before there was guys that just, you couldn't even speak to. And I mean, when I was younger, I just, I could never do that. I just like it, that would give me more anxiety than talking to like try to shut myself off in a hole. So uh, I just never got into that, which Are- I can't shut up if you paid me anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you another way. Was there a goalie when you were younger, just kind of feeling your way through where you said something to them or you did something and, and you said, "Uh Oh, I'm about to find out this was not the right time. So uh, I, <laughs> it wasn't saying anything, but uh, uh, this goalie uh, in Kamloops, Davis Parley, was his name and uh, he was 20 I was 16 and uh, he had a superstition about uh, tapping his pads so you couldn't touch his pads so you know I went after the period was over whatever time it was I went to uh, go give him a tap on the pads and he slashed my stick away (laughs) (laughs) and I was like oh shoot sorry dude (laughs) did you overlap with uh, Ilya Brzgalov with the Coyotes? No, with uh, Edmonton. Oh, with Edmonton, you overlap with the Brisgala. Oh, I, yeah. w- I wouldn't even thought about that. Yes. Yeah, the Brizzly Bear was in Edmonton. So what was that experience like? I, I love that. He's one of my favorite people to talk to. What was he like as a as a, as a teammate? Uh, it wasn't very long, but, uh, you know, f- hilarious guy, obviously. Everybody, you know, anybody that's talked to him knows he's funny. And yeah. he, was, he was the same way in Edmonton. Like I said, it was a, it was a short period of time, but uh, he had the boys laughing pretty good. Uh, when he was there and then I was I was shipped out shortly after mm-hmm. I always wondered about that when when uh when you were with Edmonton because I mean you were like first of all like, the one thing we all notice about you is like really tall really athletic like when I if I'm a someone in an organization I'm like I'm not giving up on someone with that size and that athleticism what went through your mind at that period in your career uh you mean when I got traded from Edmonton yeah I was shocked that the Oilers did it yeah, I mean, it was tough. Like, it was frustrating. I mean, as a young guy, you think, you always think to yourself, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a, you know, play here for life. You know, like, especially being a Western Canadian kid, grew up in Calgary. I'm like, and everything was, you know, trending upwards before that year. But the problem is, well, there's a few problems. One is I didn't stop the puck. So that was problem number <laughs> one. And then there was so much changeover. in Edmonton it was like new GMs new coaches constantly that if somebody comes in new like Mac T came in his job is to revamp the team and we weren't being successful so he's got to change it if you don't have somebody that's been there for a long time that's loyal to you or or believes in you if you have this constant change you know it doesn't like he has no loyalty to me so his job was to come in and change the team I didn't give him a reason that I should be there and you move on but you know, you didn't have that like GM that drafted you or had seen you play for years. And, mm. and it was just like, you know, this is a rut. You can get out of it. I know, I know what kind of goalie he is. And there's a constant turnover. You know, Mac T had no loyalty to me. I didn't give him a reason to be loyal to me either. Like I said, problem number one was that I didn't stop the puck. So that's where it all started. 
So I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you're on the long list for the Olympics, Devin. Have you been given an indication that you, will you be playing for Canada at the Olympic Games, assuming everything goes as normal here? As normal as can be, I guess. I hope so. You know, they haven't given me any uh, any sort of direct confirmation that I will be on the short list. But I'm basically told, you know, I went through the, the process to be put on the long list so that I could continue to be eligible. And that's kind of where we're at now. And then obviously, you know, I was finding a place to play so that I was prepared if I had the opportunity. So, you know, I haven't been told anything. I know the guys from Hockey Canada. I've mm-hmm. known them for a long time. So the dialogue's there, but there hasn't been anything specific, like telling me that I'm going for sure. I'm just going to do my best to prepare and, you know, I want to be able to, to perform, you know, it sounds silly, but that's big part of it too. It's an absolute honor to, to have an opportunity to go over there. So right now I'm just trying to concentrate on making sure that if I do get the chance to go over there, that I'm, you know, ready to contribute because I obviously haven't played a lot of hockey this year. You know, right now with the Charlotte Checkers, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about the last couple of months as well. And at what point you thought maybe I need to, you know, maybe I've got a shot at Team Canada here if the NHLers don't go. Like, was this in the back of your mind the last few months or is this really sudden and quick for you? No, honestly, it's, it's sudden. <laughs> it is the last couple of months has just been complete whirlwind. Um, you know, going from getting the call and asking if I would, if I would be interested in playing in Spangler Cup and, I played in Spangler twice in the past, and I mean, it's just one of my favorite memories, both the tournaments. Like, Davos is beautiful. The tournament is, it's such a cool experience. So when I got that call, I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And then the next step was finding a place to skate, which I was fortunate enough to, uh, University of St. Thomas let me come out and practice with them, but that wasn't really much. I mean, they they already had three goalies, so it was four goalies out there, and I didn't want to get in the way of the guys day before a game kind of thing. So I wasn't getting a lot of work. And and then the opportunity with Charlotte came up. So I jumped on that. I came down here. Absolutely loved the time. Awesome group of guys. City's beautiful. Kind of blew me away. I didn't uh, didn't really know what to expect um, going to play in the American League. But had a blast. You know, got a couple games in was ready to go to Spangler the day I was supposed to go back to Minnesota to, to get ready to go to Switzerland. Canada pulled out. So that got canceled. And then I was kind of like in limbo at that point. I went home for Christmas. We were supposed to be going. We had this whole trip planned to Switzerland. And uh, we didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have any post-Christmas hockey plans. It was kind of like everything was just lead to the Spangler. And then and then that was going to be it. And then I don't know what point the NHL pulled out of uh of the Olympics, but just kind of sitting at home and then, you know, got the call about being on the long list for the Olympics. And then it was kind of the the same cycle happened all over again. It was like, well, shoot, I got to find somewhere to play now and get prepared. And, and, uh, you know, with the taxi squads and, and everything going on, the opportunity kind of came up here again. Um, and they were happy to have me back. So this is where I'm at now trying to get to get the game in order. Now in the off season this year, did you have did you have many NHL opportunities? What kind of was your off season like? What did you did you think that you'd be somewhere in the big league this year? I did. Uh, I really did. You know, I was surprised uh, just at there being basically no offers. You know, I was thinking about it later, kind of saying, you know, it'd be different if I had a couple early offers for for minimum or whatever, and 
and I said no to them because I thought I was going to get more. And then, you know, spots filled up and you can kind of look at yourself and, and say, well, that was, you know, your own fault for saying no in the first place. But I, I mean, I literally got nothing, not a single offer. So that was kind of surprising to me, but you know, what are you, what are you going to do? <laughs> just we, we thought Buffalo, that was what we heard, that there was interest from the Buffalo Sabres. There was interest for quite a short period of time. And, you know, when I say that, I mean like a couple hours and then they signed uh, Anderson and, and Dell before there was ever any sort of formal anything. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, like, did you think this was going to be it? Was there a point of view, like, you've got a big family. Did you think that maybe you're at a point where, unfortunately, you're we're going to have to retire or something? Honestly, I just, uh, especially after last year, I mean, my there wasn't a lot. <laughs> As I say this, I'm sitting in a hotel in downtown Hartford. But I was going to say there wasn't a, you know, I wasn't going to go away from them. I didn't want to, you know, last year was awful. I saw my wife and kids for 16 days between... Jeez. December 26th and whenever June, whenever we were out of the playoffs. And so I just wasn't going to do that again. You know, I wasn't going to wait and go off somewhere and try to make the team, but not bring the family. And, but again, I, I mean, I say all this, but none of the opportunities even, there wasn't even an ask, so it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, like come November, it was, I didn't really have a lot of reason to think otherwise at that point. You know, it's such an interesting thing. Like, you know, you know, Devin, here you are, you're 35 years old. And one thing I've learned about elite level athletes and NHL players is you play until someone drags you off the ice and says, you can't do it anymore. Yep. And I'm, I'm wondering what you're sitting there, you're thinking on one hand, you want to be with your family. And on the other hand, you're thinking, I may not have a lot of time left. Like that push and pull, especially now with what we're dealing with, with COVID, it must have been so intense. And what were your conversations like with your family as you decided you wanted to try this again? Well, I mean, my wife, Jen, has just been on, like, she, she's funny because she's the one, like, obviously you got to do it. Like, so I get, my agent calls me and, and mentions the opportunity to come to Charlotte for a couple weeks. And I'm like, yeah, you know, sounds like a good idea, especially kind of perfect scenario for Spangler Cup. Uh, let me just call Jen and let her know before I say yes. So I call her and I'm like, hey, you know, uh, Charlotte called and or Florida called and said I can go to Charlotte. And she goes, okay, so when are you leaving? And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're cool with it? And she's like, well, of course, why wouldn't you go? You know, and like same thing with when the Spangler came up and, you know, the Olympics and like, she's always just like, well, yeah, of course you're doing it. Like, as long as you want to, like she always says, as long as you want to do it, then do it. We'll be fine. And it's weird coming back to, um, you know, you, you have a couple days, especially the first few times on the ice where you're just like, you know, I, I got on the ice. I When everybody left for camp, you stop skating because there's no one to skate with. So when I get the call for Spangler and I go out with uh, the university team, St. Thomas, you know, you get out there and it's like, I mean, everybody knows when you, when you've been off for a bit, it feels kind of foreign, but you know, one day is okay. And especially when you're coming back from a long delay, it's like one day is good. One day is bad. One day is good. And then it kind of all starts to slide in, but your, your days kind of, some days you're like, oh yeah, I got it. And then some days you're like, oh my God, my brain is not connected to my body right now. (laughs) You know what? Let me, let me, let me pick up on that. I am curious when, when you're off that long, What's the toughest thing to get back in your game? Like, what's the one thing that's like, ugh? 
It's the uh, uh, patience off of like reads off of the stick, like the shots. Okay. And it's because it's such a fine, it's, it's like split second. The difference between like dropping, leaving your blades to go into a butterfly before the puck leaves a stick or after. And you think about how short amount of time that is. Wow. The difference. But the difference is if you're holding your edges until after the puck leaves a stick, it means you're like dropping into the save. So you're going into the butterfly toward the puck or wherever it's going. If you're dropping before the puck leaves a stick, then you're essentially going into a butterfly and then reacting out Mm. away from it, which you're going to be chasing it. And it's always been that way. It's one of the most difficult things to just get back that patience of, of holding and, and reacting to the shot, not that split second before. And it's night and day. Have you tried any of the virtual reality training? Have you done any of that before? I talked to Kevin Woodley uh, out in Vancouver yep. about that. Um, and he was he was going to try to get me set up. I never ended up getting it. But I was very interested in it for myself. And then I, I was selfishly thinking my kids were going to love this thing. I'm like, I'm going <laughs> to stick these guys in this thing and have Shea Weber ripping clappers at them. They can see what I'm looking at. <laughs> yeah, the group I think that Woodley's tied in with is called Sensorine. Yes, that's the one. That's the yeah. same one, yeah. I really wanted to check it out because... My kids have a VR and uh, I mean, I've, I go in it like just to see what they're doing and it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Like these are obviously made up worlds in there, but I mean, it'd be cool to see how close it was to the real thing. Well, I know that some goaltenders have used it as part of their rehab, specifically concussion rehab. Yeah. Where you're, you're not out there facing the shots, but it's that simulated practice, that simulated game. Like it's a great, right. I mean, not just a great tool to, to stay sharp, but also a great recovery tool as well. For sure. Well, you get, you can work on the eyes and brain as well, tracking without, you know, having that feeling like you might take one in the face again. Hey, speaking of which, you mentioned Shea Weber and he's the, he's the obvious one, but I know that um, goaltenders are well protected, but when you're playing in the NHL, whose shot did you just cringe like, oh no, here it comes again? Sheldon Surrey had the hardest shot I've ever seen in my life. Oh boy. Like, I can't even describe this. And I mean, it was also my first call up in the NHL. So obviously everyone's shot seems really hard. Yeah. Super hard. But this is like, this is outrageous. The best part about it is like, I never touched it and he never hurt me with it because it just went in. Hmm. He was hilarious. He'd come in. I remember the first practice. He takes. He had three shots. He had the quarter, half, and full slap shot. That was it. Mm-hmm. There was no. There was no like no wrist <laughs> shot. No like toe pull. It was just quarter, half, and full. So I have a story. I remember. I had a friend uh, who played pickup, and he wanted to try goal. Uh, like he tried goal later in life, and uh, he actually became a pretty good beer league goalie. But the dumbest thing he told me he ever did was there was a guy in beer league who had a great shot and he wouldn't take it in those games. He said, it's not right for me to shoot this when we're playing for fun. If it's a meaningful game, I'll do it. And he goes to the guy, I want to face your slap shot. And he said, no, I'm not doing it. And my buddy taunted him enough that the guy said, (laughs) okay, I'll do it. And he blasted off him and... He got hurt. I don't think he broke his collarbone, but he injured it. And oh, so, he told me so it was. <laughs> he taunted him enough that he took a slap shot at his yeah, neck. Yeah. And, and he, so he said, I learned my lesson. Don't do that again. Yeah, well. So the question I have for you is, did you ever say to Sore, wind that thing up? I want to see it. Not a chance. I'll, I remember the first first practice I got out there when I got called up with him. And I mean, I was in training camp, but I, I never really saw it. 
the same way. And I remember the one drill, he comes down, gets to the top of the circle, and I hear him, he goes, sorry, Doober. <laughs> and he does his, like, <laughs> quarter clapper. This this thing blew by me before my brain could even, like, register to move my hand. <laughs> like, before, before I could comprehend that the puck was coming at me, it was in the net. And I was like, oh, my God. Is that what this is? <laughs> Is that what it is up here? Because I'm a long way off if that's the case. <laughs> like, I think game in a hurry. Okay, I'm going to go on a little fishing trip here with you. I, I'm curious because the last time I talked to Woodley, we had a conversation about the smell of burning pucks off a mask Yep. when it hits you. And some goalies will say, yeah, that's definitely a thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, has that been a thing for you? Yeah. Oh, it's definitely a thing. Can you explain it? Like that phenomenon? Yeah, it smells like burning rubber. And I, it, like, it's very blatant smell. I think it just depends how the puck hits you. Mm-hmm. I think if it hits you square on, you don't really get it. If it kind of ricochets, obviously you get that burning rubber because it's actual burning rubber probably off of your helmet. But yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a real thing. It's You can smell it. Do you remember the first time you smelled that? Like what level of hockey are you, are you noticing that? Oh, I, I can't remember. Uh, exactly when I would have smelled that. I would say that it probably wasn't until junior, like WHL, yeah, that pucks started actually hurting when you got hit in the head. Um, before that, I was like, whatever. Devin, when you agreed to do this interview, did you think that you'd be asked about the smell of pucks off your mask? <laughs> that was exactly it. I was, I was talking to my wife, and I was like, yeah, I got to go talk about burning pucks. I'll call you back. Like, you know, I'm just curious. Like, did you prepare for this in advance? When you woke up this morning, do you think you'd be talking about yeah. the smell of pucks? Yeah, well, I did. I was staring in my mirror trying to rehearse uh, how I was going to talk to you guys. So, <laughs> uh, so what I wanted to ask you was one of my favorite moments from last season: St. Louis, San Jose. Yep. And you're a competitive ornery guy, and Jordan Bennington's a competitive ornery guy. Oh, yeah. And you guys skated each other, and it looked like you both wanted to go. Yeah. And are we going to have a goaltending change? I believe we are, as the backup goaltender, Billy Husso, is getting set. He's not seated on the bench. There's not enough room on the visitor's bench here at SAP Center for the backup goaltender. So Billy Husso in the tunnel oh, here we is go. coming back out. Now Bennington getting after it with Dubnik. As Dubnik and Bennington come together on Bennington's way off the ice. Well, Carlson, Eric Carlson in the neutral zone. I'm not sure what happened, but Bennington went after Carlson. And then, obviously, then... Devin Dubnik came out to say something to Bennington. I thought they were going to drop the gloves. Minor penalty on sportsmanlike conduct. What happened and who would have won? Unsportsmanlike conduct, I believe, was just given to Bennington. And that will put the Sharks on a power play here. And here's where Bennington takes his swat right there at Carlson. And I'm not sure he's just upset getting pulled. Now he's talking to Dubnik as he's going off. I'm not sure I'd want to tussle with Devin Dubnik with the size of him. And that's probably why Bennington heads for the shower. Obviously, he'll be parked over there outside the glass. That's where you, they sit, as you mentioned, Randy. But you're right. Unsportsmanlike conduct. Two-minute penalty there for the goaltender. So <laughs> you're going to get me in trouble here. <laughs> um, so we scored, and, and um, he obviously wasn't having a great game, and, and they pulled him. 
and I wasn't really paying attention. It's like they pulled him, you know, it takes a bit. So I was just kind of twirling around my end, like not really paying attention, looking at all the fans in the stands, staring, <laughs> staring at all the empty seats. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I look up and he's shoving with uh, Simic at the bench. And I'm kind of laughing at myself. Like, I, I know he's got a temper. And you know what? I, I can respect it. I, I used to have a major temper when I was younger, too. I don't have enough energy for that anymore. But I can tip my cap to a good, like, snap show once in a while. Mm-hmm. So, but the thing that bothered me, so I watched that and I was kind of laughing. You know, he took a penalty. I'm like, perfect. We got a power play. And uh, when he was skating off and he fake punched Carlson, and I didn't know that he just, like, fake punched him. I thought he, like, shoved him. Mm. That's kind of what pissed me off. So I went over to say something to him, and, I mean, his wires had crossed. I don't There was nobody home there. Showing some feistiness, as he always does. Now he's going to go over to David Dubnik. Here we go. But as I went over to him, he kind of, like, wound up, and he tried to, like, I saw him. He was going to, like, slash me in the back of the leg. So a fired-up Bennington. So I kind of like tried to stop that and then kind of tried to throw a left. When I say throw a left, it was not really throwing a left, but I pushed him in the face. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, I thought we were going to go. You know, I've kind of like stood there for, for a second. But the, I mean, the, the thing is, is, there's like all four referees were following him off the ice because he just like chased everybody around. So <laughs> plus, and then he went straight off the ice. So there's no real possible way that it could have happened. I don't know. I mean, I'd like to pretend I would win the fight. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> I, I think I weigh a hundred pounds more than he does, and 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 I'm significantly taller. So maybe I'll just. I think I could sit on him. It'd be like a UFC. I think <laughs> full mount. I get full mount on him. <laughs> I think it seems like he's been itching for one for years yeah. now. And so we're all just waiting. Like, is this ever going to happen for Jordan Bennington? Like, can we please just prearrange well, one? Just, just be careful what you wish for. <laughs> so I'll say it's not like this is, we're not talking about Robin Leonard wishing for a fight. Like we know, we know, oh, we yeah. know Leonard wants to fight because he's going to beat the brakes off of whoever he accepts but yeah. we're not talking about that here so just be careful what you wish for well that is an interesting question like amongst like we see some of the obvious like robin leonard's an obvious one and, and mike smith's an obvious one like but uh, amongst the goaltenders is there sort of a consensus like top three or top five like you know okay who, so who's the toughest here leonard's i was big a joke i'm like if i ever pissed off leonard enough that he was gonna chase me around i'd, I'd go young blood on him and just like stick my stick in his face like i'm not <laughs> i'm not i'm not going down that road i you know I, I wasn't blessed with great looks but i don't need to like hurt myself even more in that category i <laughs> 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 give myself a chance but uh i mean he's one of my it's funny like <laughs> i always like to look back at the uh felix pot van ron hextall fight oh yeah oh yeah you're not taking any away from ron hextall i mean the guy was tough as nails but when he went into Potvin, you're thinking, like, this guy's going to murder him. Like, it's Ron Hextall. Yeah. And then he, you're like, whoa, all of a sudden, you know, Felix is chucking him. Yeah. And Potvin breaks the stick on Lacroix. Clark's got Lacroix down. He's got a couple of lefts going at him. As in comes Hextall to grab Potvin. Now Potvin and Hextall are fighting. Off comes Potvin's helmet. Hextall throwing punches at Potvin. Felix throwing an uppercut. Lance oh. Hextall right on the button. They're wailing away at one another. Oh. Hextall sweaters up. That's a fine. 
Here's another throwing punch. Hector with an uppercut. Felix throwing legs and left. The pileup is underneath, but the main event is the goaltender. Oh, Felix is popping him. He is throwing a bunch of punches at Hextall. He's got him dragged over the top. Murphy doesn't want to break it up because he'd be the third man in. Well, but he's talking to the referee here. But I'll tell you what, Felix Potvin wins this one hands down. The biggest thing, if you're going to get into a fight, is that, like, Whoever's more pissed off is going to win, unless it's Robin Leonard. You could be not pissed off. He's going to beat you up. But it's like that aggression, you know, like I think that's a big part of it is you can't go into a fight and not want to like, if one guy wants to hurt the other guy and the other guy doesn't really care, then it doesn't really matter who's who. I think um, in that rink that day of the, the Potfan Hexall fight, there were two people that knew that Potfan could really handle himself. One was Felix Potfan and the other was Pat Burns. Oh yeah. And Pat Burns. Like Burns's background with, you know, the the police in Quebec and like Potfan was, you know, Potfan kind of ran with a grew with up a, with in a, a tough, tough crowd. Yep. He did. I he he ran with a tough crowd. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, the the story was always like Burns was like, this is not going to end the way you guys think it's going to end. Watch this. Yeah. And Potfan just unloaded unreal like yeah i love watching that because he was uh he was one of my favorite goalies uh when i was that was before i was a goalie but um i remember writing a school project writing a letter to felix potvin asking for an autograph hmm. really yeah did he send it yeah i got one back i got a signed picture of felix potvin that's awesome <laughs> yeah so i i always i always think of that you know when i'm trying to do fan mail or you know it, it piles up and I always tell myself to just make sure eventually get back to it because I always think of that Felix Potvin sent me a picture and I, and I like, I didn't send him anything. I just like wrote a letter as a kid. And I mean, like be honest, he probably had stuff set signed and set away for that stuff. But just the fact that like, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget that because I'm like, yeah, that's huge. You know, remember when you were a kid, he sent you a picture signed so make sure you eventually take the time, like get all this stuff out. So yeah, that was really cool. And I mean, hands down, like best head to toe style. It was pretty cool. Like unbelievable to have. That's great that he did that for you though. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. I had that on my, my bulletin board. That was when I had a bulletin <laughs> board in my, my room as a kid. You never got the chance to play against him. Eh? He was gone by then. I no, no, yeah, he was. Yeah. He was gone. So I remember the la- the last time I talked to Felix Potvin, we had a conversation about playing baseball, and he said the goaltenders now you can tell they didn't play baseball by how they catch a puck. He said goaltenders just put their glove in front of the puck now, but nobody really catches it. Yeah. He said, I take all my goaltenders and I throw baseballs and we play catch because I want to teach goaltenders how to how to catch a puck properly. He goes, goaltenders don't do that anymore. They just stick their glove in front of the puck. Do you kind of know what he's getting at there? Yeah, well, yeah, you look at it. There's a lot of, uh, I want to say, like kind of stabbing at it. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, you know, I mean, he had some pretty fantastic uh, windmill glove saves, so it might, it might be an in-between of the two. <laughs> But I know exactly what he's saying. Like, there's, you know, you you can see and guys do have their hands way out in front, but it's kind of that that like stabbing at the puck rather than you know letting it come in and catching it. Yeah, your first AHL game was 15 years ago. 
I was looking at that today. <laughs> What's the biggest difference between being one of the youngest guys in the American Hockey League to now being one of the real veterans in the American Hockey League? Uh, the way my body feels? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what's hilarious? So uh, I'll give you a guess that so you probably won't guess, but there's one thing in common with those two games, the one that I played 15 years ago and then the one that I played here. Was somebody in the game or was it in the same building? Somebody was in the uh, organization, yes. Oh. Dan Bilesma was my assistant coach. Oh, wow. In both scenarios. Oh, no way. Yep. Wow. 15 years ago in Wilkes-Barre, he was the assistant coach. That's unbelievable. And he's the assistant coach here now. Yeah, we were laughing about it when I first came here. Okay, you know what? I'm going to ask you something about a coaches and assistant coaches in either the American Hockey League or in the NHL. If you're comfortable naming names, go for it. Or more specifically, I'm just looking for it. Have you experienced this phenomenon? Because I've talked to a couple of goalies about it, and they've sort of joked about this. Have you ever been in practice and had one of your coaches take a shot on you, and you said to yourself, you played in the show <laughs> with that shot? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but you, you know, you got to remind yourself that they probably didn't look like that when they played in the show. So you got to give them, give them a, a little bit of a break. I just wonder if the, the shot ever, I never thought the shot would leave. Maybe it does. Let's be honest. You talk about like older coaches that, that are superstitious. I don't think any coach is coming in and ripping one on their goaltender. Oh, good probably point. like, yeah. it's like a little bit. A little bit worried about hitting them with it, but uh, this is funny too. So I don't know if I ever told you guys this, but uh, another roundabout coaching story. When I was 15, when I got called up in Kamloops, as a, so you get drafted at 14, and then I was playing Bantam AAA, and I went up to Kamloops as an emergency call-up, and uh, Dean Evison was the head coach in Kamloops. Hmm. I'd never played, so every day after practice, just – a super intense three-on-three -three game with the coaches against the players that basically never played, the young guys that, like, never played. And it was – and me, Dino was flying back then. Hmm. Like, still and – and, I mean, he could rip the puck still. And then, again, another – and then roundabout, Dino gets hired and come into training camp, and I don't know, however many years later that was, probably, yeah, it would have been – 15, 16, 17 years after that, Dino was my assistant coach and, and then head coach eventually. Now, Dean was a tough player. Yeah. Like, he wasn't the biggest guy, so he had to play. He was intense, man. Hard and Oh, he was intense in these three-on-three three games. Yeah, he oh. was intense in these three-on-three three games. He's, like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, do I let him? I don't think he's ever played a soft game of hockey in his life. No. Like, not, like, never, ever. No, I, I like I didn't I didn't know what to do. First of all, I mean he could still shoot and he was flying around, but I'm like I was scared if the players won the game. I thought he was gonna kill me. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, but then I also didn't want to like let him score because I wanted him to think I was good. So mm -hmm. I was like in this dilemma every time he played three on three. I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to let him score because I want him to think I'm a good goalie, but if the players win, he might kill me. So I don't know. <laughs> now, are you surprised at all at Vancouver's success under Bruce? I wouldn't say surprised. I mean, am I surprised they're, I don't even know what they are now, like eight no or one overtime loss. Yeah. I mean, to that degree, yes. But 
No, I think, you know, they had some success at the start of the year, and I think it's one of those things. Sometimes a new voice. I mean, Bruce has been successful everywhere he's went. He obviously, you know, there's good things, but a lot of times it's just, it's a weird phenomenon with hockey where you see that, where a new guy will come in and, and um, for whatever reason, if it's just a new voice, if it's changing things up, if it's accountability, you know, for guys that you have, a, you know, new eyes on you, whatever it is. But like I said, am I surprised that they're, you know, eight Oh and one or whatever they are a little bit, but you know, I'm not surprised that he's, he's having success there at all. How much was Bruce or maybe he wasn't at all. Um, you know, Bob Mason's your goaltending coach when you were at the Minnesota wild. He was part of one of the great goaltending duels of all time back in 87 with Kelly Rudy in the Easter Epic. But how much did Bruce Boudreaux deal with the goaltenders when he was with you guys in Minnesota? Not much. He, he would do mostly his talking through Bobby he always would say that he doesn't know anything about goaltending, but then he'd tell you if he didn't like the way he played. (laughs) (laughs) So it's an interesting, interesting way to go about it. But no, I mean, I, you know, I, like I always say, Bruce, he can be hard on goalies. You know, he's, he expects a lot out of you, which is fine. Uh, But I always say, I mean, I'm always, I'm forever grateful to, you know, he played me a ridiculous amount of hockey games and it was an awesome part of my career. So, you know, whenever I'm, I'm joking about that stuff, I always appreciate that. And, and, uh, but he, yeah, he was, he was most of the talking was through Bobby. I've had coaches in the past that like, just don't even talk to you. It certainly wasn't that case. I mean, he was fine. He just wasn't going to get into it with you too much about what you were doing unless you weren't doing it well. All right. Here's my last question, Devin. Have you called Eric Stahl and said, if I'm coming back to play in the Olympics, you are too? Hmm. Uh, interestingly enough, we've had that conversation. <laughs> we have. Um, so I've talked to him a couple times about it, and um, that was the first thing when I, when I went on the long list. It was the first thing I thought about. Cause I know he's, he's, uh, kind of been skating a little bit. And I mean, you know, he doesn't have to skate much. He's in good shape and obviously knows how to play the game. But when it came up, I called him. I didn't, I didn't know if he was on the list or not. I called him to ask. And so I think it'd be a blast. I think it'd be awesome for that team too, if he's able to do it, but who knows? I mean, he's got to want to do it, which I think he does. I mean, but it's like the guys want everything. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you you can't blame the guy if he doesn't want to go, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's in China. It's a long way away. It's, you know, it's obviously all the, all the protocols and stuff. If he doesn't, if he doesn't want to go, you can't blame him. Like he's mm-hmm. won the Olympics. He's won the Stanley cup. He's won the world championships. Like what, but I'd love it if he, if he would come. It would be really cool to see Eric Stahl there. It'd be really cool to see you there as well. And he can still play. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can promise you that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I skated with him a bit in the summer, and he's still got it. It's just whether or not he wants to do it, but he's definitely still got it. Well, listen, it would be great to see both you guys there. Thanks so much for doing this. Much appreciated. Uh, best of luck the rest of the way, you know, both with you know Hockey Canada and with, uh, with the Checkers. Thanks. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks a lot, Devin. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. It was fun.
Okay, Elliot, that was a lot of fun talking to Devin Dubnik. Uh, we thank Devin for his time. Uh, wish him all the best with Hockey Canada. I want to thank the Charlotte Checkers for making him available, Paul Branicky and TJ Shalott specifically. Um, taking us out today, a band that got their start well, almost accidentally. One night, Joe Paris Christensen texted Cameron Kinghorn some jams he recorded on his tape machine. Cameron replied back with a, what is this I want in? <laughs> a few minutes later, Joe created the loop for their first single and they wrote the song on the spot in his Northeast Minneapolis bedroom. From their debut album, Mary, here's King Perry with Snow Day on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Are we dead?